Hello and welcome to Meet the Education Researcher. This is a podcast from the Faculty of Education at Monash University and here we talk with researchers in and around the faculty about their current reading, writing and thinking. So welcome to another interview in our series of Meet the Education Researcher podcast. My name is Neil Selwyn and I work in the Faculty of Education, Monash University in Melbourne, Australia. And the aim of these interviews is simple. We spend 15 minutes or so getting to know what researchers in and around the faculty are currently up to. So today I'm joined by Adam Wood from the UK. Adam's a visiting research fellow to Monash for six months. He's funded by the Leverhulme Trust. He blogs at architectureanteducation.org and he's here to talk about his work. Good morning, Adam. Good morning, Neil. Now, Adam, architecture is one of those topics that I guess most people know is important, but rarely give a huge amount of thought to. And I think this especially seems to be the case in education research. So, I mean, first off for the uninitiated, what do we talk about when we talk about architecture? And why does it matter? A definition that I like is from an Italian architect who designed lots of schools and lots of universities. So he was really interested in education. Um, His name was Giancarlo De Carlo. But he for him architecture was the organization and form of physical space so actually architecture in that sense already brings us to space and i I think this kind of this quite simple definition actually becomes more interesting um in terms of sociality and in terms of power because if we think about the organization then of space uh for de carlo and, and for us now as researchers it raises some questions about okay well who is organizing this space is it just the architect um, or does organisation carry on afterwards? And then who are the teachers responsible for some of that organisation? Are students responsible for some of that organisation? So I think it's a, it's a useful way of, of, of thinking about architecture. Uh, and also it slightly takes the focus off the, the decorative aspects. Mm. It's, it's not to say they're not important, but it's just that sort of when we are thinking about education, perhaps, you know, that ordering or organisation of space is one useful way to look at it. So education researchers are mainly interested in issues of power and sociality mm. and all the things you've talked about. So, I mean, why do you think they don't pay as much attention to architecture as they should? What is it about architecture that makes people sort of just switch off? I think they would like to. I think partly is this thing of taking it for granted. It's mm. the, you know, Walter Benjamin called it, it's the, the perfect example of one of those experiences that are just completely backgrounded, just completely taken for granted. It's there all the time. Uh, the organisation of space happens outdoors as well, and we often take that for granted. So really, architecture, I think, when you start prodding people or asking about their specific experience with it, then they actually become really interested yeah, because yeah, yeah. It, it's something that you know really can really annoy them or, or get them really happy. It's one of those things which is it's there in their everyday lives and in their jobs. So I think it is, I think it is interesting for them, but it's one of those things about how then do we kind of make our conversations more conscious of it um, and how do we bring it to the forefront of what we're thinking and doing. Yeah, I think Marshall McLuhan talked about a fish never notices the water that it swims in. Right. So I guess architecture is kind of the same thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to what a sense is there a specifically school architecture? I mean, is there anything about schools that's architecturally distinct, say, from hospitals or prisons or office blocks? Okay, that's an interesting question. Also, because it changes with time. So, for example, there used to be in um, certainly United Kingdom, there used to be architects who were, and there still are some of them, but within the Department for Education who were talking all the time to teachers. 
that's still there a little bit, but lots of that sort of, that's not happening to the same extent that it did. So certainly when there was a huge growing population in lots of Western countries, you know, there was a real concerted effort to to position architects closer towards educationalists and educational practitioners and, and kids and students themselves and find out what they needed. That's died back in quite a few countries. So what's taken its place? Is it now a completely corporate concern? Are we getting architects just designing schools and then the next day they're designing shopping malls? You still get architects who are specialists in in schools. It does happen. But it's not just architects. I mean, architects themselves have have suffered, suffered financially and they're struggling for work. Their own economics of architecture uh, has changed hugely. Lots of buildings now aren't designed with architects. Mm. Uh, We know from, you know, uh, sort of there is a move to, to, to make all kinds of efficiencies in buildings. So one of those is also to make buildings look nice but not necessarily be designed well in their interiors in terms of how people are using space so yes i think there has been a a, a sort of a rolling back of uh thinking about how can we make useful useful but sensitive changes to design for educational spaces yeah now i guess a lot of teachers and policy makers are less interested in kind of beauty and design and they just want to know i mean does architecture influence learning so i mean yeah are there any headline findings in that respect are schools machines for learning Yes, there is some. I mean, it's really complicated because as soon as you change space, you're changing all kinds of other dynamics. You're changing uh, physical dynamics. You're changing the amount of light coming into a room. You're changing the flow of air. You're changing social relationships. You're changing where people can can sort of sit, stand or or not sit and stand. So it's very complicated. But yes, there there is sort of significant strands of research that do look at that, that sort of try to quantify the variables. A lot of it tends to come back to sort of things about Yes, we need good quality light coming in, good quality airflow, um, and also people being able to adapt their environment. I think that's an important factor in people being able to feel as though they have control over their situations is being able to modify. And and that could be something as simple as being able to open a window, which Mm -hmm. sounds ridiculous, but actually in lots of schools nowadays, you can't open windows um, or adjust the lighting and change the blinds and things like that. There's a lot of the automization of the the way that the buildings are are, are constructed means you just can't do that. So but but those are some of the the sort of the classic ones. Yeah, still, you know, remain sort of lighting, air, um, the adaptability of the environment and to some extent, perhaps, you know, the... uh, course how the building looks as well and feels so i mean how have schools changed over the years you said there was a kind of historical thing to this i mean in terms of the design of schools and the way that learning has changed so i'm interested in terms of have there, have there been phases of, dis- of school architecture over the 20th and 21st century i mean you know if you take the last 100 years perhaps a, a key focus that has shifted is the move from outdoor space which was sort of very important 100 years ago and was people were interested in a more holistic sense of, of students development and fresh air being outdoors and having classrooms where you know the sort of the, the walls could retract or the doors were fully openable and students could could have lessons outside and you know that was tied in with concerns in the early and mid parts of the 20th century to do with you mm. know the healthy especially worries, I suppose, about the health of the the urban child. Perhaps we're sort of, you know, hopefully we are still concerned about the health of the urban child, but but the the main concerns have come back to what you mentioned before, is this idea of learning and this much more kind of perhaps a psychological approach uh, about what health and well-being and, and thing means. So, um, so that's one of the shifts definitely has been from, you know, a focus on, on outdoors to, towards actually the interior of schools. 
Um, another one is that obviously the the wider situation is that where schools are built mm. is now land that is much more expensive. So that's created a shift. Um, the vertical schools yeah, that they've yeah. built here, and there's lots of talk about. But but that is an important factor and will be as urbanisation increases in most you know sort of the leading cities of the world. Is is that actually what does happen when land costs a lot more? Your schools will tend towards reducing their outdoor space and will likely go up uh, rather than along so yeah i think those are some of the changes and another one is that the extension of that is what economies of of scale and of educational practice can be transformed through combining or supplementing or adding and how do you think about these things together with physical space what happens with online learning or online education and physical space and i think that's something that um yeah i'm really looking forward to talking more about that's really interesting. I mean, one of the other things I was wanting to ask you about was differences in terms of country. Now, you've travelled around, you've been to Italy, you've come to Australia, and you've written about travelling ideas of school design that pop up very quickly around the world. So, I mean, are we all building the same schools around the world, regardless of local context? And I mean, is that a bad thing? I think we have often built similar schools. There's a researcher in Manchester, Olo Duku, who's a, a professor of architecture who's written incredibly interestingly about the traditions of school building in Africa and she notes you know in the 1800s these ideas and construction technologies traveling and bricks made in Manchester and Liverpool traveling on boats to Africa where schools are being then put up uh, very much in the model image of the colonial country back home in inverted commas uh, and, and she's written really interestingly about this about how these economies of, of power and desirability play out in terms of architecture and school buildings um, and what that means what, what are you actually selling in educational terms the building is used to, to, to sell much more than just the physical space of containing and providing a space obviously for education mm. so I think there is a sense that yes school travelling ideas of, of school design have always happened are they happening again now yes i mean one of the things that my research in italy was interesting was the fact that italy has a really rich tradition of educational architecture that's very localized very specific very interested in supporting what teachers and students can do on a on a moment by moment and and day-to-day basis with their own educational work there in front of them Um, and yet italy is increasingly sort of but perhaps it feels as though it needs to buy into these mm. much more glamorous, more internationally recognised ways of doing and building schools. And, and not just that, but sort of, you know, then you're, you're perhaps one of the club, aren't you? You have joined the 21st century if your architecture looks like that. It has uh, lots of glass in it and lots of uh, transparent sections and um, breakout areas and, and, and these things. Yeah, so PISA indicators, PISA type schools, everyone is kind of coming the same. And that's really really interesting we haven't talked about your research at all yet so i just wanted to finish off by kind of pushing you on how these interests and these topics translate into education research so i mean how do you actually go around researching these issues that you've just talked about is this basically a lot of constant site visits and desk-based research or are you using more kind of design-based approaches i mean what's the research methodology my PhD, I it was an ethnography, and I was mostly concentrated on what was happening with teachers in, in their schools. N- recently, I've been looking much more at sort of um, where is the publicity happening for for new schools? Where is the money going? Um, what are these? images and these uh, the, the connections between images that seem to be selling 
what are attractive ideas of 21st century spaces. So I think, and there's people doing all kinds of interesting research in different ways. And I think probably the most effective way is really to have a combination of all of these, because I think otherwise it's just missing out. At the end of the day, if we're not clear as to what people are actually doing with these spaces then then really we're kind of you know talking a little bit sort of in in, in okay it may be like that but actually we don't know until we're spending time with yeah, people and yeah. asking them what they're doing and looking at what they're doing so i mean it's the flip side of methodist theory and there are all sorts of different ways you could you know I mean, you've talked about power and space and boundaries and all of these things i mean what theoretical traditions or what theoreticians are you drawing upon to try and make sense of your work one of the things I've found actually is that architecture itself has been really helpful. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it's, in the social sciences, there's been this discussion of uh, the spatial turn to the extent that uh, who is it? Some researchers in Lancaster wrote about uh, the churning of spatial turns, and it's sort of going on and on. And, and actually, architecture has obviously had this long-standing fundamental obsession and concern about what space is so it's it's always been having spatial turns so going into a lot of what Herman Hertzberger who's uh, still around still designing schools and has been for the last 50 years his architectural theory has been really useful uh, really helpful Jan Carlo de Carlo I keep coming back to him but I think a lot of his writing is really interesting and also, there's lots of ways that space does work with that. Doreen Massey, I think, you know, is still remains somebody who's incredibly valuable in terms of thinking about space. Also, because we need at some point, if we're talking about physical space, to think, okay, well, what is the relationship between this physical space and the social space that people end up making and producing through their interactions? There needs to be also that connection. You know, there, mm. there is in, it doesn't just reside in physical space. Mm. There's a late interview with Doreen Massey where she raises the question. She says, you know, we've been so busy talking about processes that actually we're in danger of risking um, the thing Mm. and we need to come back and remember that there is the thing there is the entity um, and we need to kind of concern ourselves with that as well whilst looking towards more contingent socially produced aspects of space so that was really that's really helpful and I, and I do think it's true especially with buildings we can't give up on the materiality of them we need to remember that they are there and also what their materiality is matters for the buildings and it has done traditionally in architecture as soon as people could build in concrete and the Romans onwards they could change what architecture was they could change the span of buildings the size of buildings they could change how buildings were structured so that people could relate in the buildings themselves and also simply just how many people you can get into a building that's a huge difference Mm. so things like concrete and, and the materiality in that sense of buildings is is important and impacts on the social aspects of it as well. So moving away from stuff that the Romans were doing, I mean, what do you think are the big future issues that we really need to be worrying about in terms of, say, the next 10, 20 years? So briefly, yeah, one of the ones is going back to the thing that we've talked about is the interaction uh, of, I think, online space and physical space. I I think a big question that, that governments need to be asked at the moment is what their plans are for for using money to maintain and make better the physical spaces that they already have. That's a really interesting point, yeah. And and also their long-term stewardship of those buildings. And I think that's really important, especially in the light of Carillion, which is, you know, in the United Kingdom has had a us talking and rethinking again about the possibilities of what funding schools without necessarily going first to 
the markets for money, uh, for, for, for private finance, but for using government finance, because that longer term approach changes the whole dynamics of school construction and school design. If we own the buildings that we build, our relationship to what happens in those buildings is invested with a whole sense of uh, longer term thought. Yeah. Um, so I think that's something that we can really think about is uh, who and how are we financing our buildings? For- oh, and this idea that actually maintenance rather than innovation is the most important aspect of infrastructure. It never gets talked about. Yeah, yeah it's really it's fascinating. Well, yeah. I mean, it's been it's been genuinely interesting talking to you about it. This is a topic that doesn't seem to get much attention in education, but seems to me to be really, really important. So, I mean, good luck with the work in the future, and we'll keep an eye on everything that you do. Thank you very much.